Welcome to My Business Playbook, where we pull back the curtain on the steps and missteps of successful people. You'll hear a raw and unfiltered play-by-play of what's worked and what hasn't, giving you helpful advice and insights so you can create an amazing business. I'm your host, Laura Higgins, and this is My Business Playbook. Hello and welcome to My Business Playbook. Today we are joined by Nat Sparta from The Palm Co. Nat is an interior photographer, stylist and graphic designer based in Sydney, Australia. She has worked with a number of interior designers, architects, builders and holiday property owners, capturing beautiful homes all over Australia. Her work has been featured in magazines such as Home Beautiful, Adore Magazine and Inside Out, just to name a few. Now, if you follow Nat on Instagram, you know how beautiful her images are. I'm so excited to have her here today to be talking all things photography, styling, and how she built her business. If you run a creative business, then this episode is for you. Let's jump straight into my conversation with Nat from The Palm Co. What I would love for us to start with, we're going to get into some practical tips today about photography and and styling and all of the things that you are an absolute wizard at. But to start, can can you tell us a little bit about your business and what you do and how did you start The Palm Co.? Yes, it's actually surprising. I didn't realise how interested people are in how business gets started. I get asked this question quite a lot when I put up, like, you know, ask me anything on social media. That's like one of the biggest questions I reckon I get. It's like, how did I start? So um, I worked as a graphic designer for four years. And then after working at a computer every day, I just hated it so much. And so I went I did I studied a bachelor of design so I had a background in like textiles and all the different areas of design and I was like that's it and a job came up to do property styling I'd never done any sort of interior styling or anything before and I was like I'm just gonna whip together a portfolio and because I had the photography skills I put together a portfolio and applied for a job got the job as a property stylist um, styling homes and did that for about six years and then at the one of the last companies I worked for, I started doing the photography and the styling. So I was just like updating all of our portfolios and capturing our latest work. And I found working with some other photographers, it was hard to get a photographer that kind of saw it from an interior's point of view as well. Like a lot of them were just real estate photographers. So it was all like super wide angles and you were losing all the details and pretty much everything that makes a photo beautiful, I felt like was getting left out. And so, so I got married and I went on my honeymoon and it was like, while I was on my honeymoon, I just had this like epiphany. I was like, I'm just going to start my own business. And I'd always wanted to start my own business, but I'm not a risk taker at all. You very much play it safe. And I loved the, you know, reliable income, the regular hours. Um, but then I came back and I kind of got a shove from my husband and a really good friend who was also in the interiors industry. And they were like, just give it a go. Like you've got this. And obviously I instantly went into panic mode being like, but where does the work come from? Like, where does the work come from? I'm like, I've got the skills. Like I'm in, I've got qualifications in graphic design, qualifications in interiors and, um, photography, 
but that doesn't mean the work is just going to come. And she's like, the work will just snowball. So I did. I came back from my honeymoon and I resigned from my job and I went and got a part-time job just to sort of keep things afloat while I built the Palm Co. And I, this friend, I did a photo shoot for her and from that it just like sort of snowballed. So like each month I got more photo shoots coming in and I was doing a little bit of interiors, some graphic design work because I didn't really know what direction to take the business in. I was just like, yep, I've got all these things. We're going to be like a multidisciplinary like studio and offer everything. And yeah, it kind of just all fell into place. And I think I worked for about like six months part-time before I could actually do the Panko full-time. That is so cool. And so I feel like you totally glossed over like some details. <laughs> How did you go, like, did you just pick up a camera and go, oh, I'm just going to give this a go? Like, is that how that happened or how did that kind of play out? No. So the photography side of things, um, whilst I was working as a graphic designer, we purchased a lot of images from like iStock and Getty Images. And I really struggled to find imagery that wasn't so like generic and that sort of thing. And so I was just chatting to my boss and I was like, you know, can I, can we look in, do, into doing like a photography course? It was me and um, one other girl I was working with at, at the time. And I was like, I think this would be super beneficial to like pair with our graphic work to have our own photography. And she was like, yes, I think that's a great idea. So I went and studied um, photography at ACP in Paddington and I did a few of the courses there. And they just basically taught you the basics of everything that it, it wasn't really until I sort of started to put it, everything they'd told me when I started to put it into practice, that's when it really started to become fun and start to understand it. Because when you're talking about photography, there's like aperture and depth of field and like there's like little numbers and big numbers and so many settings on the camera. So when you pick up the camera, you're like, oh, what do I do? And it's only really like once you've been taught how to use a camera, it's really not until you start putting all of that into practice that it, it sinks in. And that's when the photography really starts to develop. So, yeah, that's how I got into the photography side of things was that I really wanted to create my own images for my graphic design work and my graphic design clients. That is so cool. I, c I can't believe that. I feel like, you know, and if you're listening to this, you need to go check out Nat's Instagram, The Palm Co. All of her photos are beautiful. I, I just think you are so gifted at this. And I, I wonder if the edge that you've got, like this this thing about your imagery is so beautiful. And I think it's this mix of, you know, this interior styling, interior design, and then this graphic design and understanding branding and brand, all of those things, they really work together to, to give this beautiful finished product of these images. So that actually makes total sense that you've got all of those skills working in the background because I don't see any other images like yours. You know, I, I just think they are, they're, beautiful they're insane so that is so cool I love that that's part of your story is is this and I think this is a part of a lot of people's stories is this thing of giving it a go dipping your toe in figuring it out and and this kind of balance between side hustle and full-time business was there a moment how did that moment play out where you went from your this is a side hustle and you're working for someone else a couple of days a week to no this is my full-time business and this is going to support me financially what what was that crossover period like for you 
It was a very long crossover period, technically. <laughs> Basically, when I graduated, I started doing graphic design freelance on the side. So I always had a full-time job and I just did the graphic design on the side. And it was more just to like build on my skills, build a portfolio, get a bit of extra money coming in. And so I had always done that throughout like the four years as a graphic designer and then the six years into the um, like property styling, it was always a side hustle. And it wasn't until I came back from my honeymoon, it was like, right, I'm going to give it a go. And the one thing um, my friend said to me who was like, just go out there and do it is like people don't, not that they don't take you seriously when it's a side hustle, but you only, because you don't rely on that income, you've got a stable job. So you kind of just take the word that comes work that comes to you. Whereas when you change it from a side hustle into wanting to become a business, you are taken more seriously because you really want that work. Like you need that money to survive. So totally. I guess it went from me being like, well, this is a little bit of a fun project. And when I quit my full-time job and when I got a part-time job, I remember working at the part-time job and it just was not filling my cup. I was still doing property styling and I looked like the company I was working for, they were beautiful people and they knew it was very much on a casual basis while I was building my company up. But I really like was pushing for my own jobs. And so I guess it was about that, like I said, that six months of sort like I was still working casually styling, but I was trying to build the business. That's when I was like, no, this is like for me. I'm going to make this into a business. So I guess it was, I don't know, maybe 10 years of doing graphic design, which blended into photography as like a side hustle, that it kind of came into a full-time job. But six months of properly trying to convert it from a side hustle into a full-time job, if that makes yeah. sense. <laughs> totally. No, that's that's really cool. And so for you, like starting a business, you know, and, and particularly starting a creative business, there's a lot of you know, unknowns. There's a lot of unknowns in how much to charge, how to find work, how to work with the right clients, how to make sure that what you're doing represents the type of work you actually want to be getting more of. So when you started, what were the key mindset shifts that you needed to make in order to succeed? Were there any clear things that you realized straight away, I need to shift how I think about this in starting a business? Yes, definitely. There was I don't know if, even if starting a business is the right way. I think um, I've pretty much played it quite safe up until the last 12 months. And because for me, that was the most comfortable way to run a business was to just go with what I knew and, you know, do the same sort of work that I've always been doing and rely heavily on regular clients and that sort of thing. But I think the biggest mind shift that I've had in the last 12 months is that in order to grow a business, you need to take risks. So that was the biggest one for me. Like if you don't change anything, you're just going to keep doing the same thing. And I love doing the same thing, but I could see like I, my skills were getting better and I was growing as a person. So I needed to just throw that back into the business, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's hard. It's a hard one for me, like to, to do the mind shift thing. <laughs> I'm actually doing I just enrolled in a course to change like my mindset for next year because that's like one of the biggest things for me is to look at it more as a business and not as a hobby. I think a lot of creatives tend to downplay their skills instead of being like, you've got this, like you can do this, like this is what you're worth. It's 
I don't know, it's a little bit hard to change it, I guess, from being a hobby into like a business. It is a real mindset. Yeah. yeah. And also when you're a solo business owner, right? Like you are just stuck, you know, it can feel a bit like, I don't know how, I don't know if I'm going crazy. I don't know if, if like how, if my response to certain things is, is actually even valid, you know, when you're by yourself, you can kind of feel like you're in this little silo and, and you're, it can be a little bit lonely, but also there, there isn't necessarily those checks and balances of, Hey, like you freak out about this thing and you don't need to freak out about it. Or you undercharge and you actually, you're booked out. So you need to raise your prices. Like we don't have those, I think, particularly when it's just us by ourselves, we don't really have those check-in points where we think, okay, what could I be doing better? What could I be shifting in the way that I think about myself, think about my business? And it's not an overnight thing either. (laughs) It's such a long journey. So that's really cool that you're doing a course on mindset. That's really exciting. Yeah, I think, you know, it will be really good. I think it's so important though. Like I wish I'd done it earlier in running a business just because I think creatives are really tough on themselves. Like I'm a bit of a perfectionist and so I feel like I'm constantly being like judging myself. So to change, I just really need to change that sort of mindset. And yeah, like you said, you are like a one man band. So you don't really have the person to be like, am I doing this right? Is this right? And so I actually really love when I get feedback from clients because otherwise you just don't know how you're doing. You're just kind of like coasting along like, yeah, I've got regular bookings and I've got so much work. You kind of just rely on your clients to give you that feedback. And it's nice when you reach out to other creatives, I think as well, you really need to look at other creatives as people to help push you rather than as competitors. I think when you're starting your own business, everyone's like tries to keep everything so close to their chest because it's like, oh, I, you know, I really want to make my business work. So I can't tell everyone what I'm doing, but you should really reach out to those people because everyone's in the same boat and everyone just needs to bounce ideas and get the support from other people like there's so much work out there and I think that's definitely our mindset thing to just look at people and be like wow they are killing it or you know I really look up to them for this or gosh they've done such a good job with that one rather than looking at them going oh god like I wonder how much they charge or oh their photography is so much better than mine everyone has their down days but you've got to really stay in your own lane for that sort of thing and that's a real mindset thing. Absolutely. And also it's kind of a discipline, right? I find mm. for me, if, I, if I'm feeling a bit off and if I spend too much time on Instagram, I get really flustered I, and I get really, like I start spiral. comparing myself. Yeah. And I'm like, mm. I need to do more stuff. Like, look at this person, they're doing this. And it, it actually is like, no, we need to constantly be coming back to okay this is my lane this is my big point of difference and it's funny because I feel like if you called me and said Laura I'm freaking out about this thing I'd be like what the heck you are totally a standalone you can do your own thing and and you have your own niche that would never be compared to anyone else but I think when it's ourselves we we get caught in that all the time so yeah I totally, totally relate to that. And so for you, like in your journey, you know, you've been in business for, what is it, three years? Yeah, about three and a half years now. So cool. I think we must have started at a similar time. In your journey, what are the things, you know, I find for me, I've learned a lot from the 
probably more from the things I've done wrong <laughs> than the things that I've done right. Yeah. But what are the things, what are some of the missteps that you've taken or what are some of the things that mistakes that you've made that have actually helped you grow? Do you have anything that you're like, man, when I did that, I changed my approach to how I run my business? There are a few things. I mean, obviously with the photography side of things, a lot of it was trial and error. <laughs> so running a photography business, yeah, it was trial and error on site. Like how long do I allow for photo shoots? Like um, all of that sort of thing has been very much trial and error for me. And sometimes I'll give myself two hours and be like, wow, that was a massive mistake. I put so much pressure on myself to get these shots in two hours, which I would never do. I think that's one of the biggest things actually that comes back to like the boundaries. So I guess the biggest thing for me is just setting your boundaries and sticking to them. Like I know best how I work. It's hard. It's sometimes easy to just go like a client will be like, oh, can you just fit me in for a shoot for two hours? And you're like, oh, it's not really how it works. I guess I learnt the hard way by going, yeah, sure, I'll squeeze you in. (laughs) And then going and putting so much pressure on myself to do the exact same thing that I do in like eight hours in a two-hour gap. And then it's like from that I'm like never again. So next time I'll be like, sorry, if you want the amazing photos that you all love, this is how I do it. And so pushing back on people, I think, and not in a rude way, it's just standing up for yourself, I guess, is one of the things that I've learned by doing it the wrong way. Yeah, (laughs) I didn't want to push back on people, put boundaries in place with the fear that people would think I was being mean or like take it the wrong way. But realistically, a lot of people just don't know. So they're just asking the question to find out. So I think sticking to your boundaries is one thing I've really learned. Oh, they're great mistakes. I feel like mine mine are doozies. <laughs> so yours are great. What do Gucci and the North Face have in common? It's not that they go on many adventures, although anyone who wears a North Face jacket definitely goes on adventures. The thing these two brands have in common is that they have collaborated for a highly successful marketing campaign. Collaborative marketing is up to 25 times less expensive than digital advertising. So it's safe to say that if you do it right, you can see incredible results and save a lot of money. But there's a catch. (laughs) In order to get those results, you definitely need to know what you're doing. And that's where Collabosaurus comes in. They have just launched the Partnerships Masterclass where they teach you everything you need to confidently build successful partnerships. In this eight-week course, you get personalized mentoring that covers everything from identifying partners and contacts through to marketing ideas, pitching, negotiating, campaign planning, and ROI tracking. Now, if you want to secure your spot in this eight-week Partnerships Masterclass, or if you just want to learn a little more, head on over to the link in our show notes. Now, back to the episode. All right, let's, we should jump into some practical photography styling advice. I'm really excited about this. And I know I've had a lot of people ask me questions, me, they're asking me questions to ask you about photography and how to DIY. Mm -hmm. So let's dive in. What is your go-to Lightroom preset or your editing preset? I get asked this question at least once a day. Wow. (laughs) I don't use presets. So... I custom edit every single photo for clients because I feel like that's what they're paying for. I mean, obviously, I've got a bit of a formula that I use in Lightroom and in Photoshop to get the the look and feel. So I have particular things that I'll run over images 
that I've just worked out over the past three uh, three years through trial and error that works for me and achieves the like the palm curl look, which is that real light, bright, airy kind of look. However, I am turning them into presets. So yes. that is one thing because <laughs> I get asked all the time. So, yeah, that's one thing that I'm launching, which will be the Palm Co presets. Oh, so. that's so exciting. Yeah. Where can people access those presets? They'll be on my website. So you'll be able to purchase them through my website. Amazing. Oh, that's so good. Okay, we're going to put a link in the show notes for those presets. I'm so excited to see those. Okay, next question for you. What are the key factors that make a photo go viral? I mean, for you, you have photos that are featured all over the place, you know, all over Pinterest, all over Instagram. What do you think are the key elements that actually make a photo high quality and make a photo go viral? There's a few things that definitely make photos stand out in my opinion. I um, Lighting is massive, so I'm a natural light photographer. I mean, I do use flash when the time calls for it, but I highly advise it. Every photographer is so different. I personally don't love using flashes. I'll definitely try and use the natural light, especially for interior photography. So I think lighting is a massive one. Um, if you can get your lighting at the right time of day, it makes a huge difference on the photo. So I'll always ask my client like to keep an eye on the lighting and most places will either have better softer delight in the morning or softer light in the afternoon. That is massive one. Styling is huge. So that's where I've really found my point of difference is, is that to me, styling can like make or break a photo. So I can go and reshoot a house that's been styled before or been photographed before and style it a completely different way and that photo will take off. There's nothing different about the actual beautiful home. The home is still as beautiful. It's just styled a different way um, and captured a different way. So I think the styling and the lighting are two massive things that can make or break a photo. Obviously, if you've got great bones to work with, that is also helpful. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And have you ever arrived at a shoot and thought, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to work hard to make this look beautiful? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes Short answer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes you'll get a beautiful house where all the finishes are perfect and, you know, the design itself is amazing, the layout is amazing, but it's got no natural light. Or I think once I I generally see photos of the place before I get to a photo shoot now, so I go in prepared with all my styling props to help like bring it to life. Um, the styling's just really there to complement what the design is and bring the space to life. So yeah, it helps when I see photos beforehand or if I've seen the place in person because yeah, there are obviously right. things that you, I mean, I can shoot pitch black rooms and still get a really beautiful shot. So there's always going to be little challenges. It's just that if you're looking for things that will automatically help you, lighting and styling is going to be the two. I love that. that that's a really, really good tip. Now, as a creative and a photographer starting out in business, how did you learn what to charge? I know that there are so many photographers and so many creatives who listen to this podcast. So how did you actually figure that out as you went? I knew a lot of interior designers when I started my business. I knew no photographers. So I really felt alone when I was trying to work out my pricing. And for me, a lot of it was trial and error. Um, I just remember 
thinking that pricing, and even today it's the same thing, the pricing really has to reflect your expertise, the demand, your equipment, your knowledge, all of those things. Obviously, when I was first starting out, I wasn't as busy, nowhere near as busy as I am now. So you have a lot more time. I also, after shooting like three or four times a week for the last three years, my knowledge and experience has, you know, gone tenfold. So I look back at some of the photos that I originally took and whilst they're beautiful, I'm like, oh. So I think you just adapt according. Like if you're just starting out, you should, you need a price accordingly. You can't just be like, oh, great, I've got a camera and I've got all the gear, but I'm still learning. You can't expect to be charging the same as someone who's been doing it for, say, five or ten years. So totally, I think you just you need to do a little bit of a research and there'll be some guides as to where to start your pricing at. And then you kind of just adapt over the years as your business is growing and you go from being yourself and having no real expenses um, in terms of a team to when you hire someone, you've also got to ensure that their time is covered. There's a lot of factors that contribute to that. Yeah, that's such a such a good point. And so for you, you've been your work has been featured in Adore Home magazine, the Design Files, Country Style Mag the local project, Grand Designs Australia, so many others as well, I'm sure. But how do you charge, just on, on this practical, you know, knowing what to charge front, how do you charge for their for your work when it's being featured in online publications and it's being in, featured in magazines and shared all over Instagram? You know, how do you actually navigate and protect the commercial value of your work in an online space? It's a real grey area charging for your work in a like commercial space. I actually, when I first started, I wasn't charging at all. I was just so excited to be in publication. I was just like, oh, my God, yes, have the photos. Like, that's fine. And then as this became a real business for me, I started to talk to other photographers and other people in the industry. And through chatting with them, I, it became really obvious to me how just giving photos out really devalues the industry and the hard work and that the same way that my clients pay for for great and beautiful content so too should these publications that are going to be making as a third party money off of these images so i think that anyone who intends to make money off photography should pay for beautiful content just like anyone else would so it's so important to charge for that as well because if everyone just starts giving out content for free it's going to make a lot of photographers really struggle to make an income based on the, on the beautiful work. And I've been on the cover of like the home beautiful magazines and the adore magazines. And that's what sells these. That's what sells these magazines. So a lot of the publications, they know they have to pay for it because in turn, they're going to make, you know, tenfold worth of money back off it. So it's really important to like stand sort of stand your ground on that and charge it accordingly. Just for the industry as a whole. Yeah. And I, I have a lot of photographer friends who've struggled with this. So I love your take on it. I think it's really, really good. And it's really good to value your content and the work that you've put put in to create these photos. And if they're getting distributed at such a big scale, then mm-hmm. there should definitely be some compensation for you as well. And And I think as well in Instagram and Pinterest, you know, it kind of feels a bit like a free-for-all, right? Like people can just share your images and they don't need to tag, like they don't need to tag you. There's not really an etiquette there. 
How do you go with that side of things? Have you had any moments where you've thought, oh my gosh, someone's using my, someone I don't know is using my photos to advertise their products or have you had any moments like that? Yes, I have had moments like that. And um, I think it's so hard with Instagram and Pinterest and stuff like that. It's really hard to like monitor all of that sort of thing. And I think as long as people are crediting appropriately, I mean, you're not going to hit someone up every time they regram a photo or post a thing as long as, you know, they credit the designer and the photographer and everyone involved accordingly, then that's fine. And I think that's great for cross-promoting and, and sharing each other's work. It's when you find companies that start to use it as promoted posts and sponsored posts to sell their products and they had nothing to do with the photo shoot that's when I think you need to really put your foot down and be like, hang on a second, my client paid you know, really good money for, the, for that content and nowhere are they getting mentioned for this and nowhere am I getting mentioned for this and yet you're making lots of sales off these images. You need your own image license to be able to do so and for that you have to pay accordingly. So it's really, it is a really tough one and I've struggled with that as well myself, pulling people up on it, I think. You just have to be really clear. It's so important to be really clear in your terms and conditions. Like when I started, I had very vague terms and conditions. Now I've got really structured terms and conditions so that everyone's on the same page. Like my clients are aware who can and can't use the images, where the images can and can't be used. And it's not like I think just as long as you're really clear, it makes everyone feel a lot more comfortable because you still want your client to be getting themselves out there and, you know, submitting their work and the photos for their own marketing and PR because, I mean, that's what they paid for the photos for. So I think as long as you're just really clear about who can and can't use them, then it makes yeah. it a much smoother transaction. Like everyone is like, comfortable with the decision that's been made. It's not like you're just all of a sudden going to hit them with this massive invoice and be like, here you go, because like, that would just be awful and I think like that would just taint a relationship. So I think honesty and just being upfront about everything as well, photography can be really confusing so some people just don't understand what the boundaries. Yeah. So being really clear on that mm. when interacting with your clients, that's so, so good. On a shooting practical front, what is the most common mistake people, i.e. non-photographers <laughs> like myself, what are the most common mistakes that you see people making when they're taking photos, even if it's just taking photos on their phone? Um, I think angles, you've really got to get like eye level or, you know, really think about your angles. Don't tilt your phone down. Hold it as straight up as you can. There's a few really standard angles you can shoot with and you're guaranteed to sort of get a better shot than if you just do whatever you're feeling on the day. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. So like got shooting front on is always a good one. Don't overexpose if you overexposed you can't bring the pixels back in so you lose a lot of the quality in the image so you better just shoot darker and you can always brighten an image up than to go in and shoot so bright then you lose the curtain details and that sort of stuff uh so yeah, definitely right. don't overexpose your images and removing things from photos blows my mind <laughs> people will just go in and like photograph a bathroom with the toilet like with the bin and you know, some scales and the old soap and, like, if it's ugly, get rid of it. It doesn't need to be in the photo. We all know there's generally a bin, but we don't need to see it. So yes. I think 
consider the styling side of things and, you know, if there's a PowerPoint in the wall, if you can't Photoshop, that's fine. Put something in front of it. Put a chopping board in front of it if it's in the kitchen. Just those sorts of things will definitely can turn like an average photo into a great photo, even if it's just shooting on your phone. And use Lightroom app. Yes, and for, for the actual shooting, right? Yeah, like for, or no, I am post-processing. Like you don't need to know too much. If you buy presets and run them through Lightroom, they'll instantly, like the right presets, obviously, they will take your okay photo to a really good photo. I love that. That is so good. I'm going to use all those tips. Okay, <laughs> final question for you. A lot of our community are small business owners and solo entrepreneurs. They're juggling all the things. What is your biggest piece of advice that you wish you knew when you started the Palm Co? When you say advice, it's like all these things that you people told you and you that you should have believed in. So the risk-taking, definitely take risks. And as much as people are like, yeah, take risks, believe that believe in taking risks like it will honestly pay off that it's like that whole idea of like um there's a quote kind of the exact wording but it's basically like you can build your dream or someone will hire you to build theirs so the best thing is like give it a go what is the worst thing that happens is that you go and get a job like I just think it's so important to just give it a go and don't be so hard on yourself like things take time no one was just born with like no one just started out their business with 40,000 followers or, you know, being on the cover of a magazine, everything takes time. It's just stick it out. Like there's good and bad days. There will always be good and bad days. Even if you worked for someone else, there's good and bad days. But it's just so important to just, you know, stick it out and don't be too hard on yourself. Amazing. I love that advice. So you're so great. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Where can people find you online? Where can people continue to like continue the conversation with you and also to see your presets, where, where should people go? Yes. So you can go to my website, which is thepalmco.com.au or I'm always active on Instagram, which is at the.palm.co. And yes, you can get me through either of those or shoot me through email, which once you get to the website, that's got all the details on there. Amazing. Thank you so much, Nat, for joining us. And I can't wait to see what you do next with your beautiful business. So thank you so much for for coming on the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited for, yeah, 2021 and what's to come. Woo! So there you have it. That is the play-by-play for this week. Now, if you're looking for any of the links we mentioned today, as always, head on over to our show notes. We've popped the link for Nat's presets. They are in those show notes as well. So make sure you check those out. I know that they are beautiful and that you will absolutely love them. Now, if you want to continue the conversation, head on over to our Facebook group. Just search My Business Playbook and you will find us. It's kind of like the after party of the podcast. Music from this episode is by the wonderful Jake Scott. You can listen to his music on Spotify and Apple Music. Now, as always, thank you for listening to My Business Playbook. I'll catch you next week. Same time, same place. Go get them.